I want us to find another new insight this morning, a new insight in the old story that we've known for years and years and years. And so um, we're going to start right off uh, this morning with another scene from a Charlie Brown Christmas that I think um, if you're familiar with it, you'll be very familiar with this scene. Um, also, after last week, I, I, I was shocked at how many people uh, came to me and said that they actually had never seen a Charlie Brown Christmas. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I was appalled. <laughs> that, is, that is horrible. Um, so uh, I hope that at the very least this will motivate you to to want to find it and make it a part of, of your Christmas this year because it, it really is worth it. But um, we're going to look at scripture this morning, but let's start off with this scene between uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy. I think you have a customer. Sad shape. Wait a minute. Before you begin, I must ask that you pay in advance. Five cents, please. Boy, what a sound. How I love to hear that old money plink. That beautiful sound of cold, hard cash. That beautiful, beautiful sound. Nickels, nickels, nickels. That beautiful sound of plinking nickels. All right, now. What seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we'd better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aleurophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or chephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it! <laughs> Do you ever feel like you have pantophobia? The fear of everything. As much as you might have watched that clip and thought we were going to talk about money, uh, <laughs> we're not going to talk about money um, because Lucy loves her, her nickels, nickels, nickels. Um, but we're going to talk about fear this morning. That's, a, that's an important scene in a Charlie Brown Christmas. So we've already seen that Charlie Brown knows that he's missing something of Christmas, his understanding of it. It's causing him to be depressed and he's looking for answers. And as he goes to Lucy uh, to try to find answers, uh, she immediately goes to a list of phobias of different things that people could be afraid of. And I don't know, may, there may be some of you here this morning who have legitimate phobias. There are, there are like clinical, like real phobias that people have that are legitimate um, and, um, you know, most professionals would say that a phobia or the nature of a phobia is having a genuine fear that is out of proportion to the actual danger that exists in a specific thing. So most phobias that people have are, are an, 
sort of what some might call an irrational fear of something that really doesn't pose near the threat that the fear that they have for it causes them to think. Um, and so you may not have been diagnosed with a phobia, um, but everybody knows what it feels like to be afraid. Everybody knows what it feels like to be scared. And I want to start off with this statement to get us thinking, to consider. We are all afraid of something, and then there's some things we are all afraid of. Everybody's afraid of something. If anybody tells you they're not afraid of anything, they're lying. And, and we, it, there is, we're all afraid of something. Now, that something, for all of us, may be something very different. And for some of us, we have really weird irrational fears um I don't even know that I can describe to you one of the one of the things that I don't know that it's a fear it just gives me the heebie-jeebies every time I see it or I'm near it and I don't even know what it's called and Kim knows exactly what I'm talking about if I see a flower arrangement y'all are going to think I'm so weird when I tell you this when I see a flower arrangement there are these things that sometimes are in the middle of a flower arrangement and they there, there's some pod-shaped looking thing, and it's in the middle, and it's like this round thing, and it's got lots of holes in the middle of it. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know what those things are called, but I can't look at them <laughs> because they, they, they make me, like they, like they give me the heebie-jeebies when I see them. I don't understand. I actually Googled, and there's some kind of thing. Like, it's a thing, and I don't, I don't even remember what it's called, but I have a thing about those little, like, anything that's round that's got lots of little holes in it, it gives me the creeps. I, I, I don't know. Like, so there you go. Whatever you're afraid of, and near as weird is what I'm afraid of. Um, but that's a weird thing. Um, I, I got his permission. He told me I could say, like, Tyler, as, as, as big and strong of a guy as Tyler Welchel is, um, Tyler is deathly afraid of possums. Anybody, anybody, anybody else is like, we, uh, y'all, we came home one day and we opened our garage and there was a possum and, and no quicker than the word possum came out of my wife's mouth, Tyler had ran up the driveway and was like past our mailbox because he heard that there was a possum. Anyway, like there, there are things, it doesn't matter. You're probably thinking of something for you. That if you were to admit it, it might sound silly to other people, but everybody's afraid of something. But then there are some things that I think we're all afraid of, if we're real honest. Um, We may not admit it all the time, and we may not talk about it so much, but if we're really honest and allow ourselves to be transparent with each other, we can say, yeah, there are some fears that we all share together. And you don't really think about fear being a theme that you talk about at Christmas. Fear isn't really something that you think of joy and peace and, and um, you know, rejoicing and, and angels and, and, you know, mangers and all those things. You don't really think about fear. But I want to propose to you this. I believe that fear is a prominent theme in the biblical story of Jesus' birth. I think fear is a theme in the story. And you say, well, why would you say that? If we read the Gospels of Matthew and Luke and we read their accounts of the the coming of Jesus, there are four times in the Gospels where an angel comes to people. 
Zechariah, an angel came to Zechariah and told him about the birth of John the Baptist. An angel comes to Mary to tell her that she would give birth to Jesus. An angel comes to Joseph. And then an angel along with the heavenly host appear to announce it to the shepherds. There are four angelic appearances of messengers coming to give the message of Jesus to people. And in all four of those instances, the words, don't be afraid, are a part of it. Do not fear. And you may say, well, Eric, that's obvious because these are humans encountering supernatural angels. And yes, that is true. Part of the reason, I'm sure, that those words, do not fear, come out of the mouths of the angels is any human being who comes face to face with a supernatural, angelic, visible angel is going to freak out. You are going to freak out. Whatever picture you have in your mind of angels, I'm pretty sure that doesn't even come close to what an angel really looks like. When I imagine how glorious or how if, if God were to take away the veil and allow us to see the glory of, of the angels as they exist in, in heaven, I, I think we would all be scared out of our minds if we were to encounter an angel. But these words, don't be afraid, I think also speak to our condition I think they also speak to specific things that were present in the lives of each of the people that those angels were speaking to. And so this morning, I want us to look at three of the four. Lots of, sometimes when I preach, some of y'all are used to me taking a small amount of Scripture and trying to dig deep into, that, into a small portion of Scripture. What I want to do this morning is a little bit of the opposite. I want us to go wide in God's Word this morning and, and just hit some small things. Not to go so deep, but I want us to go really wide today. And I want us to look at three of those four announcements. And, and just kind of think about the humanity of these people. And what those words, don't be afraid, would have meant for them. And then also for us to consider what that might mean for us. Because if those words, don't be afraid, are a part of the Christmas story, I think they should say something to us. And I think they can say something to us this morning. So I want us to start with Mary. In Luke chapter 1 is the account of the angel coming to Mary. And I think Mary's story represents the fear of the unknown. This is one of the things that I think we are all afraid of. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 28. And we'll read this portion of that conversation. But verse 28 says, And he, meaning the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That's a, that's a biblical way of saying she was trying to figure out what he meant and she was also really scared. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, What? Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? 
since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so when the angel comes to Mary, the first thing he says to her is, Hey, Mary, you are favored by God. And that would have been a huge comfort, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be something you would want to hear from an angel? Is that God has shown you favor. But then even in that, that good news, mixed with the fear of being in the presence of an angel, Mary had a big question. And it was how? And see, what I try to do at Christmas, especially when I read the Christmas story or any story in Scripture, is try my best to put myself into the humanity of the people that I'm reading about. And I think that's something that we can, that, that will really help us get a deeper understanding of Scripture, to get, get into the humanity of, of who these people are and to understand the context that they had for what they were experiencing because our context is different. When we read the story of Christmas, we know the end. We know everything. It's kind of like Easter. We, we know how everything goes. We know what the purpose is. We see how everything plays out in the end. But in this moment, Mary has an angel appear to her and says, You're favored, Mary, and you are going to give birth to a son. And Mary knows that she's never been with a man before. And she says, How is that going to happen? Like what you've proposed and what you've said sounds like the most impossible thing that can happen. And if that were to happen to you and I, if, if a doctor or somebody were to come to you or your wife or your daughter or somebody and say, hey, you're going to have a baby, but you've never been with a man before, you're going to be like, nope, that doesn't happen. Like That's just not a normal thing that goes on. And so Mary has a big question of how. How is this going to happen? This seems impossible I wonder if we've ever had that conversation with God before if we've ever looked at God and said God that's impossible is how is that going to happen or maybe we have hopes of things that we think will never happen or maybe The future is just really unknown. I think in that moment when Mary was hearing those words from the angel, there were all sorts of things that would come into her mind about what the future was going to be like, and she had no way to know what that would be. She had no way to know how this was going to go. At this point, Joseph doesn't even know. All of the plans they have for the future are going to change. Everything is going to change, not just for her, but for the whole world. And there's so much unknown. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid. Because she would have been afraid of the unknown just like we are. What unknowns are you afraid of this morning? 
What are the things that if you're honest with the Lord, you would say, God, I'm really scared because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. How will, how will I meet my expectations for what I have to do at my job? How will I meet the expectations of my family? How am I going to pay the bills, God? I don't know. How am I going to accomplish this thing that's before me, this task or this desire that I have or there's an expectation that's put on me and I don't know if I can fulfill it or not. How is this going to happen? This, this seems, it looks great and it sounds great, but it seems impossible. How is that going to happen? And when I thought about it for my own life, I figured out that the problem with most of my questions of how is that they start with I's. Most of the time when I ask a question of God and I say how, that also includes an I. And I will say, how am I going to do this? How am I going to endure this? How am I going to manage this? How am I going to accomplish this, God? And I think Mary in that moment maybe struggled with that. And that's why the angel had to tell her what he tells her in verse 37 if you look at it. For nothing will be impossible with God. The truth is, there's so much that's impossible for you and I. But there's nothing impossible for him. And, and, and the angel says, look, <laughs> um, it says that your, your relative Elizabeth is already pregnant. <laughs> She's six months pregnant. And she was barren. So it's almost as if the angel says, don't tell me what what's impossible God's already done it and he's going to do he's going to do something with you that's even greater than what's been done God is in the business of doing the impossible and what's so impressive about Mary is she was actually able to trust that that by the end by verse 38 her response is behold I'm the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word there was enough faith in Mary. She didn't know how God was going to do all that. But there was enough faith in her that she believed his word. She just believed that if that's what he says, then I'll submit to that. Whatever it is. I'll submit to believe that what he says is going to be true. And so many times, isn't that really all God wants from us is just to trust him she simply chose to believe that it would be as God said so to the, for the fear of the unknown God says trust me for those of us that fear the unknown because we don't know what the future is going to be like God says trust me more than you can trust your ability to figure it out because you can't and maybe what I have planned to do is better than anything you would ever figure out on your own. So there's the fear of the unknown, but then there's Joseph's story. And I think Joseph's story represents the fear of shame. This is also something that I think we all are afraid of. Matthew chapter 1 if we go back a couple of Gospels and look at the beginning of Matthew, we read about Joseph in beginning in verse 18. 
Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph or engaged in that time, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to what? Shame. Resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. What does he say? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so when the angel appears to Joseph in this dream, it's different than Mary. It wasn't a a physical, visible appearing, but he comes to Joseph in a dream. And the angel directly addresses his fear. He doesn't say, hey, Joseph, don't be afraid because you're seeing an angel and you're freaking out. He addresses Joseph's fear from the very beginning. He says, don't be afraid of what? Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because this is what... Joseph was afraid of. And you say, why would Joseph have been afraid of taking Mary as his wife after he found out that she was pregnant? And in this culture, in this society, let's just be honest, that's not always a big deal. But if we put ourselves in first century Palestine and we live in this culture, in this time period in history... We have to know that there's a system of honor and shame that that changes people's lives. There is a system of honor and shame even in our culture. We know what it feels like to, to be honored or to honor someone. And we know what it feels like to feel shame or to be shamed by someone else. Or we also know what it's like to shame someone else. But, but honor and shame in the first century was very, very different. It was, it was tied to your family. And so in my life, if I, as a young Jewish man, if I behaved a certain way or if I uh, committed a certain crime or I did something immoral, it didn't just bring shame, cultural shame, societal shame on me But it also cast shame on my entire family, especially my father. Because it was a patriarchal society. And so to have a family, there was a risk of a risk-reward, so to say, of shame and honor. And so one of the things that fathers would find themselves most concerned about in the first century was, are my children, are my offspring going to bring honor to my name? Or shame. And shame was something that this society shunned and and tried to avoid so much that if I was a son 
and I did something shameful that brought dishonor to my family, my father could literally disown me. Exclude me from the family so that, so that that shame would be separated from the family name. And I would literally be dead to my family. Like this, this was what was going on. So can you imagine, this is the system. So Joseph is hearing this news about Mary. Matthew says he was a just man. He was, he was a good man. But he was afraid. He was afraid of the consequences of what that shame would bring on him, on his family. But he was also concerned about what that shame would do to Mary. Because he knew how this was seen in that culture and what it would mean. Because in his mind at this point, there's only one way she gets pregnant. And he knows it's not by him. And so he's afraid. He's struggling. And when it comes down to it, he's worried about what people are going to say. He's worried about how people respond. And isn't that something that we are well acquainted with? If you think about how many choices you make in the course of a day that are determined by your perception of what people might say or think, it's a lot. I mean, let's be honest, even the clothes you put on in the morning, you consider what others will think of it. The car you drive, the job you have, like all, ever, so many choices that we make, what we do, where we go, what we have, who we are with, all of these things, we are constantly thinking about what others will think. And so shame is something that we're afraid of too. I think God is saying to Joseph and he says to us, know that what I say about you supersedes what any other person can say about you. And when, and when he heard those words, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife... What, God, what that angel was saying to Joseph is this is the plan of God and people aren't going to get it and they're not going to understand it and there will be shame brought upon you but not but that shame won't come from God because this is God's order. This is his plan. So you don't have to be afraid, Joseph. You don't have to be afraid of the shame of people because God has a plan and, and his plan is good and you don't have to be afraid. To take Mary as your wife. Do, do what you've planned to do because that's part of the plan. God is, God is stepping into this plan and he's making it. It's always been part of God's plan. He says, I'll, I'll take away, in my eyes, I'll take away your shame. Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. I love these verses in Psalm 34. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And then in verse 5, he says, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Who did Jesus spend the majority of his time with? The people who were shamed by culture. 
the people that that were that most folks tried to stay away from, Jesus was drawn to. Jesus was drawn to the people who were hurt. He was drawn to the people who had issues. He was drawn to the people who had sin. And he said, you don't have to bring your shame to me. Leave the shame for other people. Because I want to save you from that shame. I want to rescue you from that shame. When you come into the presence of God, the fear of shame goes away. There's no place for it. There's no, there's no need for it. For those that, that the world has shamed, God says, bring me your shame. And you don't have to be afraid anymore. Because I do not shame you. I love you. I desire my purpose for you. I think often we need to hear those words. And hear God say to you, in whatever moment that is that you're fearing, that shame, what I say about you matters way more than what the whole rest of the world says about you. Believe me. Trust me. And so Joseph responded, and it was because Joseph was able to trust God that he got up and he did what God told him to do. And then lastly, there's the shepherds. And I think the shepherds' story is a story that represents the fear of rejection. Wow, this is a big one. Of all of these things that all of us are afraid of, I don't know that maybe rejection isn't one of the top ones. If you think about what, what scares you the most, there's not a whole lot of things that, is, that are more scary than, think, than considering that you could be rejected by people. Completely rejected. Luke chapter 2 Back over in Luke, starting in verse 8, we see this familiar story of the shepherds. And I just want to point out a couple of things that I think give so much hope and so much uh, encouragement to us when we feel rejected. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? Filled with Great fear. And the angel said to them, what? Say it. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. We, we emphasized that last week, but there it is again. For all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I really love the story of the shepherds because I call the shepherds the dirty rotten scoundrels of the Christmas story. Because if you study anything about shepherds in this culture, in this time, that's exactly what they were thought to be. 
That's exactly how people responded to them. They were the dirty, rotten scoundrels. They were untrustworthy troublemakers. That's how society viewed them. They were trouble. And so they knew rejection. Shepherds often didn't have much of a societal life at all. They, they lived in isolation. In some ways similar to, to lepers, how they would live in communities. Shepherds also lived in communities that they built on their own. Because they were seen as untrustworthy. And they knew what rejection was like. I think all of us fear rejection because at some point in time, we've all faced rejection. All of us knows what it feels like to be rejected by somebody else. And it's painful. And because it's so painful, we do everything we can to try to avoid that pain. And so we'll do whatever we have to do not to be rejected by people. And sometimes that gets us in trouble. But I want to, I want to tell you something that, that doesn't sound like good news. The world's always going to reject you. The world's always going to reject you. There will always be a time that you are either not attractive enough, intelligent enough, productive enough, wealthy enough, you will always lack something. And always because of something that you lack, there will always be someone who will reject you for that lack. And we all know what that feels like. Sometimes we've been rejected by people because we've hurt them. Maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally we've hurt them. And so they've, they've rejected us. But yet, if we're honest, we also know what it feels like to reject other people for the same reason. We've rejected others because they've hurt us. They've done something to us that, that isn't justified. So we have a lot in common with the shepherds when it comes to rejection. But, and knowing what it feels like to be afraid of rejection. But, I, but I, do you realize the good news and the story of the gospel? It wasn't an accident. That the heavenly hosts and that angel appeared to the shepherds. After the birth of Jesus, the first people to get the announcement from the angels were the shepherds. It wasn't the kings. It wasn't the priests in the temple. It wasn't, it wasn't the nobles. It was the shepherds. God sent the angels to that hillside... To go to the ones who knew and were most acquainted with the rejection of people and say, you guys are going to be the first ones to hear. And, 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 and he says, verses 10 and 11 are, are so important. And I want you to just look at, at those verses again. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, the angel says, fear not because, that for is like a, a statement of saying because of this. This is the reason you shouldn't fear. He doesn't say, fear not because we're not going to hurt you because they were freaking out. Can you imagine what that would have been like on a dark hillside to see 
one angel appear, but then the host of heaven open up the skies in the middle of the night and sing and worship? Can you imagine how freaked out you would be if you saw that? But that's not why, that's not even why he says don't be afraid. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. There's good news. There's something that you don't know that you haven't realized yet that I've come to tell you. And it's good news not just for you, but for all the people. It's, and and we, we mentioned that last week. It's for all the people. But then look at verse 11. I think the most important, like some of the most important words in verse 11 are those first three words, for unto you. The angel came to announce to the shepherds. He didn't come to the shepherds and say, hey, for unto everybody else is born a savior, you need to go tell them. The angel said, he's come for you. It says, for you, unto you, a child has been born. He was talking to them. He said, he's for you. He's a savior that's here for you. To people who had been rejected over and over and over and over. God sends his messenger to say, I've sent my rescuer from all your fear and he's for you. I sent him for you. What God's saying to us when he says that is, I've sent my son to be born unto you because I don't reject you. I've not rejected you, and that's good news, folks. That is good news that we have not been rejected by the God who made us even though we deserve judgment because of our sin. He says, you may, you may fear, you may have feared the rejection of people your entire life, but you don't have to be afraid of, of rejection anymore because your creator, the one who made you, has sent one to rescue you from that fear, and he came for you because I've not rejected you. So here's the big statement for the day. Christmas is about the freedom that Jesus gives from the fears that we face. It's about the end of fear. When Jesus came, he came to abolish and take away fear. And you say, well, how do I experience that? How do I experience that freedom from fear? Because I relate to all of these things, and these are things that I'm really afraid of. I think our proper response to every fear that we see in all three of these people is obedience. Is an action. Is a, there's an action that follows up every one of these appeals not to be afraid. The angel came to Mary and said, Mary, don't be afraid. And Mary responded in faith and said, I trust that what God has said is true. And she submitted herself to that truth. She acted on that command to fear not. Joseph 
The angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And the Bible says as soon as he woke up, he was dead set on marrying Mary. There was nothing that was going to change what his intentions were because he knew and because he trusted. He acted in obedience. And then the shepherds, when they were told that a Savior has been born to you, the angel said, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That was the angel's way of saying, go find him because he's yours. He's come for you. And it says, as soon as the heavenly host left them, what did they do? They turned to each other and said, let's go find him. Let's go. Let's do it. Every one of these appeals that God gives and says, don't be afraid, there's an immediate obedience that comes after it. There's a response that comes after it. And I think Jesus would be saying to us this morning, the freedom from fear that you're looking for and the freedom from the fear that you're struggling with will be found, the, the relief from it will be found when you act in obedience to what I ask you to do. And you say, well, obedience is hard. I know. But it's the perfect love of Jesus that drives out the fear that makes the obedience harder. Because as long as I'm afraid and I don't act in obedience and I don't step in the direction God is challenging me to step, then I'm always going to be afraid of it. It's kind of like that first time you rode that roller coaster that freaked you out. You were way more afraid of it before you rode it until after you rode it. And then you got off of it. And even though it still kind of freaks you out a little bit every time you ride it, you're not near as afraid as you were the first time. Stepping into obedience, trusting God's word to say you don't have to be afraid. You can trust me. And then when we step into that and we act in obedience in response to his appeal for us not to be afraid, then we experience his presence. And we experience his provision for us and we find out there really wasn't anything to be afraid of. And then with each time he calls us into something, that fear is diminished and it goes away because each time he calls us and each time we step out on obedience, even, even regardless of our fear, we find out that he's faithful. And the more we find him faithful, the less fear we have in following him. Jesus is that perfect love that drives out fear. And he's the only one that can rescue us from our fear, a relationship with Jesus. So what are you afraid of this morning? What fear are you struggling with? Is it one of these three? Is it something else? Part of the story of Christmas is that Jesus has come unto you. A child is born. And he's come to take away your fear if you'll follow him.